You may be seated. Uh, for those of you online, we are currently doing a series in call, called Life Swap, and we'd love for you to participate with us um, in our weekly Bible studies, which are following our sermons. Uh, if you go to our website, you can find the Zoom information for how it is you can be a part of Life Swap. Now, one of the events that we're going to have the Sunday or the Saturday before Easter is called a Life Swap Community Sale. And here's how you can help us out. We are asking you to take some item in your house that you're no longer using. It's just sitting there taking up space. But it's a good item. What kind of item? Good item. If it's a broken item, throw it in the trash can. But if it's a good item, we want you to donate it. And we are going to have a five-cent sale. And we are going to take that thing in your house that's dead and put it in somebody else's house, which will give it life all over again. And that's part of Life Swap. Now, I've already had a couple of bicycles donated and a computer donated. For five cents, you can have a chance to win a bicycle or a computer. The rest of the stuff is on sale for five cents. So when you get down here Saturday, don't come up to me and say, Pastor Rick, where's my bicycle for a nickel? I said, you got a chance to win that bicycle for a nickel. Okay? That's going to be at 1 from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock. That same day, we're going to have activities for kids in our parking lot. It's called Easter Car Hop. And again, we need your help. We need you to bring your car, open your trunk, let us help you decorate it for Easter, and the kids will come from car to car, hopping, hopefully, from car to car, and we will give them candy, gifts, and other wonderful things. And we'll invite them all to come for our Easter service. I'm telling you now, we got some dynamic things planned for you for Monday Thursday. We've got some actors that put together the best play in Cleveland on that night. So you're not going to want to miss that online. And it's only going to be topped by what's happening on Easter Sunday morning. We've got another fantastic group of actors for you. And that's going to be part of our Easter worship service. So those of you online, those of you who are here, we are inviting you to participate in both of those. Now the Good Friday service, I might have said Monday, Thursday, Good Friday service is only going to be online. But Easter, we will all be here together. Okay? and you 
20 miles away from where the murder occurred. You did notice, though, before you went fishing that your wallet or your purse was missing and you couldn't figure out what had happened. Okay, so before the police comes and arrests you, your friend has left the country. So your sole alibi is gone. And the trial is going on and the evidence against you is mounting. Just so happened, your purse or your wallet is found at the murder scene. You fit the description of the prosecutor's only witness. And your lack of being able to find your friend only confirms that you must be lying. You're praying for a miracle. Then your lawyer locates your friend and come back to you with the news that he's made contact with your friend. You get all excited. And your lawyer says, but your friend refuses to testify on your behalf. He said, if I put him on the stand, he will deny that you were with him. How are you feeling inside at this point? When you think of all the times you were there for your friend. Betrayed? Forsaken? Alone? What about when the jury stands up and says, the foreman says, we find the defendant guilty as charged? Would you voluntarily choose to endure and accept these feelings, knowing that it was going to cost you your life. You know, sometimes being forsaken by someone we have invested ourselves in can be one of the most painful things we have to endure. There are parents who feel forsaken by their children. Now that they have grown older and they can't do for themselves, their adult children don't want anything to do with them. As a matter of fact, now that they are in charge of their parents' money, they just want their parents to hurry up and die so they can spend the money. There are spouses who feel forsaken by the other person. After all they did, the other person just got up and left. Or the other person is so beaten them down in the relationship that though they are married and are still together, they feel forsaken inside that marriage. There are children who know that their parents' drug habits, boyfriend or girlfriend, means more to them than they do. And they feel forsaken in their own homes. You know, there are plenty of reasons to feel forsaken. You invest your life in a job 25, 30 years, and then out of nowhere the company is sold and you've lost your job. Or some of you, 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 you you've been with this other person and, and, and you know you should have gotten out of the thing a long time ago, but you're in there hoping that one day they finally gonna marry you and person comes in one day and says, I found somebody new, and we're going to 
Jesus chooses to go ahead 
to catch all the little sins you have committed. You may feel pretty good until you realize your little sins are not like the little flies, the little bugs that your net usually catches. Our sins are like a bowling ball coming down full speed. What's the chances of your good work stopping that bowling ball? That is why it is foolish to put our eternal salvation in something as flimsy as a spider web of good works. Jesus knew the power of sin and the price that would have to be paid to stop its devastating consequences. Now, when Jesus goes into that garden, Judas is off in the darkness of the night getting the soldiers and a mob together to come and arrest Jesus. And Jesus knows this is taking place, but that's not Jesus' main concern. Jesus goes into the garden with 11 of the disciples. They stop for a moment. Fellas, y'all wait here. Peter, James, John, y'all come go with me a little deeper into the garden. And that's nothing unusual because Peter, James, and John often got to go with Jesus places that others didn't get to go. And when they go further in the garden, Jesus stops and he tells the three of them something he's never said to anyone before. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Think about it. There was a time when Jesus was sleeping in a boat that was out on the waves about to turn over. The disciples woke him up and said, Master, can't you see we're about to drown? But it didn't bother Jesus. There was a time when, in, in, in Nazareth, when he had preached the sermon and they said, we got to get rid of this fellow. They tried to take him up to the top of a cliff in order to throw him off the cliff. But it didn't faze Jesus. He was told, Jesus, you need to get out of here in a hurry because Herod is seeking to kill you. Didn't upset Jesus in the least bit. But there's something in the Garden of Gethsemane that's a real problem for Jesus. He left Peter, James, and John, went a little further, and he collapsed. Imagine Jesus just collapsing to the ground and his face falling on the ground. And Jesus prays a prayer that he realizes for the first time, his prayer might take him outside of the will of the Father. Up until this point, the Father's will and Jesus' will had always been one. Jesus had said, I only do the things that I see my Father doing. But this prayer is different. This prayer has to do with our sins. And even though we think little of our sin, that's not how God looks at our rebellion. Jesus knows that if he takes our place at the judgment, he's got to take our sin upon himself. And Jesus knows something that so many other people do not know. And that is, 
God cannot look upon our sin without looking away from us or we would be destroyed. If Jesus loves us enough to take the punishment for our sin, it means that Jesus is going to have to be separated from the Father and endure God's wrath and anger upon sin. You see, Jesus is not afraid of the crucifixion. People get crucified all the time under Rome. Matter of fact, there were two guys crucified with him that day. Jesus is not afraid of dying. He said death has no authority over him. He voluntarily is laying down his life. And if he wants to, he can pick it back up again. Jesus is troubled over what should trouble us all. And that's God's judgment of God of sin in our lives. Jesus prays this prayer. He says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. First thing I want you to notice in this prayer is the closeness between the Father and the Son. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach us how to pray, how did Jesus have them start out? Our Father. But here he says, my Father. There is a uniqueness between Jesus and the Father so that he can pray, my Father. And this cup that he's talking about, let it pass away from me. In the Old Testament, the cup of God symbolizes the judgment of God and the wrath of God for the sins of the people. And when God got enough sick and tired of what they were doing, that wrath would be poured out on those who were disobedient. You see, Jesus knows the full extent of God's wrath. All we want to hear some people talk about is the love of God. The love of God. The love of God. Well, the love of God would have no meaning were it not also for the wrath of God. Jesus knew he didn't have to go into that garden that night. But he went because of you and you and you and you and me so that we would at least have a chance of being reunited with God again. Jesus knows that eternity is real. He knows the plans the Father has for eternity. He knows the joy and the purpose God has for all those who will choose to follow him. But he also knows the destruction ahead for Satan and his angels and for all those who will not surrender their lives to Jesus. He knows the pain and the suffering he will have to endure to save us from falling under Satan's judgment. He therefore prays. He's basically saying, Father, if there is another way by which people can be saved, spare me from this suffering and separation I will have to go through. You know, there are going to be times in our lives when we can't see, well, when we can see what's ahead 
and it doesn't look good. We are going to want to have God change the circumstances and come up with another plan. But like Jesus, we might run into a brick wall. No words are going to come in response to our prayers. But can we pray like Jesus and at the end be able to insert, yet not as I will, but your will be done. You see, this is not a prayer of unbelief, but a prayer that God might be doing something far greater than we can understand at the moment. After an hour of silence from God, Jesus felt, maybe if I got some more people praying, something might change. So he goes over to Peter, James, and John, these three who he has invested so much of his time and energy in, and instead of them praying like he had asked them to do, what did he do? They sleep. He woke them up and tried to encourage them to get up and pray because he realized not only did he need strength for the night, they were going to need strength for the night. Here he is in this great time of struggle, and they have forsaken him in order to get some sleep. Well, Jesus left them and went and prayed a second time. The second time Jesus prays, he changes the words a little bit. He gives the Father permission. This time he says, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away from me unless I drink it, may your will be done. You see, Jesus is acknowledging that a price is going to have to be paid for our sins. Jesus is also saying if there is another way that people can avoid the judgment of God without him, that's all right with him. But the silence of the Father is another answer in itself. Now Jesus knows the Father loves him. He knows the Father would not ask this of him unless it was absolutely necessary for humanity to be saved. Something was happening though in Jesus' spirit between the first and the second time he went to pray. After the second time, he went to the disciples again. What do you think they were doing this time? Still sleeping. This time he didn't even bother to try to wake him up. Here he was getting ready to start the process for their salvation, for their sins, and their sleeping. He leaves them and he goes back and he prays one more time by himself. But again, something is happening on the inside of Jesus. We don't see him collapsing this time. We don't see him falling on his face to the ground. We don't see him as though he's feeling like he needs support from the disciples. When he comes back to the disciples the third time, he's not coming back sorrowful and overwhelmed. His prayer to the Father has been changing him. Luke's Gospel tells us that an angel appeared and strengthened and encouraged him there in the, gospel, in the garden. The third time he comes back, to the disciples, he comes back in charge. He comes back as the Son of God. He wakes them up and says, are you still resting and sleeping? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is about to be delivered 
into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus now has a, a, a strength and a confidence about him that I'm, I'm going to face this thing and I'm going to face it with my head up. You know, it's funny how the disciples went into the same garden that Jesus went into that night. And what did they see? They saw a place to catch up on some rest and to get some sleep. They missed out on what God was doing on the spiritual level. Now, before we condemn them, some of us come to the church the same way. It's a good place to catch up on some rest and some sleep, especially during past week's service. We have no idea what's really taking place on the spiritual level. When Jesus went into that garden, he saw a battleground that would determine the future hope of all humankind in their relationship to God as well as in eternity. We really miss out if we think God wants us to come to church just to make us nicer and to help other people once in a while. No! God is about wanting to change our lives today with the goal of preparing us for the lives we're going to be living forever. I know some of you think you got a lot of time. Go and talk to Miss Davis. Miss Davis, did it take you a long time to get to be a hundred? She got to tell you, child, I got here far quicker than I thought I would. We, <laughs> the scripture says, are like grass and flowers in the field. It's here for a, a very, very short time. And God is trying to get us to prepare to live forever and we want to prepare to live for next week. Jesus prayed three times in the garden with no visible answer. As a matter of fact, what he felt from God when he got a no answer was just a foretaste of what he was going to be feeling in about nine hours. Because you see, in nine hours, He's going to be up on the cross. And the sun is going to refuse to shine. And he's going to cry out on that cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want us to realize our sin, if it's not touched by the blood that Quinn sang about, the moment we die, we're going to be crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus gladly swaps places with us so that those words will never have to come from our lips when we die. Even when Jesus felt forsaken by God in the garden, remember I said, Jesus was getting, receiving a hidden strength and becoming stronger and stronger to endure what was about to come.
You see, Jesus gave his life for us with the expectation that we would swap our lifestyle for his lifestyle. Hebrews 13, 1 and 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. What was the joy set before him before he got to the cross? It was you. You and you and you and you and you that somehow we would be able to be in a right relationship with God. Jesus is on the cross because he thought you were worth it. He thought I was worth it. He thought all of us were worth it. Scripture says, after his cross experience, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. My friends, eternity is far closer to us than you think. I know we think we just glide through life. How many of you know there is an end to our destination? We ought to be prepared. You know, if somebody was going to the North Pole, don't you think there are certain things they should take with them? Yeah, if, if, if you know you are headed to the grave, don't you think there should be some things you should be packing? being prepared for when you get there. I'll leave you with that question. Let's pray. God, you are a great and awesome God. And Lord, even though you were in the midst of a struggle trying to move forward to save our souls, we confess we are like the disciples. We, we are asleep on the job. God, forgive us that we don't take our sin as seriously as you do. We confess that we are a people who can just be darn right rebellious at times. We thank you for loving us and continuing to invest in us even when we blow it and mess up. Oh, we thank you for the mercy that flows with the blood of Jesus. We thank you, God, that you have cleansed us and made us whole. God, if there's one here today that doesn't know how much you love them, just speak to their hearts right now. If there's one here today that has drifted away from you and needs to surrender their lives and come back home, pray that you would work in them. If there's one Lord who's looking for a 
a place to call home. Let them know that our doors are open and they won't find a perfect people here. They will find people who will love them, encourage them, and walk together with them. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet as we sing our surrender all.